Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated and turn again to Mark 12. Mark 12. In Mark chapter 12, our Lord is receiving wave upon wave from his enemies. Men who seek to entrap him to say something wrong in order to lay a charge. The fourth wave of attack comes from a scribe in Mark 12 verses 28 to 34. Matthew informs us that this is no random scribe asking an honest question, but this scribe is a Pharisee. And he's been sent with a particular purpose to tempt Christ. His temptation is a question concerning Christ's view of the law. What is the first commandment? What is the greatest commandment. What should come first? Our Lord answers and quotes Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. So Jesus is teaching us the first greatest priority commandment is to love God but what about man does that mean we can love God and neglect man God forbid God forbid but our Lord Jesus Christ continues his teaching and as soon as he is complete explaining the first and greatest he continues with a second great command. Let's read 30 and 31 together so we get the teaching. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself there is none other commandment greater than these the question is what's the greatest and Jesus answered the question what is the greatest and he doesn't stop he continued on to a second great commandment now why did he do that why did he not strictly answer the question only but adds a second I believe there are four reasons why he continued. The first reason, the law is inseparable. James chapter 2 verse 10. Whosoever shall keep the whole law, yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Ultimately, there's only the law. 
of the commandments. And if you break one aspect of the law, you've broken the whole law. Remember, the law is simply a reflection of God's character. So whether you break, thou shalt have no other gods before me, or whether you break, thou shalt not covet, essentially you're breaking the whole law of God. And so you can't cherry pick the law, you can't divide and separate the law of God like many people try to do today. But the Bible teaches the law as a whole, inseparable. And so as Jesus teaches on the first table of the law, he also teaches the second table of the law. Because they're one whole, united, harmonious law. We might distinguish, as our Lord does, there are duties towards God and duties towards man. Absolutely, you can distinguish, but never separate. You can't have the first table without the second, and you can't have the second without the first. They're one whole beautiful law. And therefore, as he teaches on the first table, by necessity of the wholeness, he teaches the second table. A second reason why he continues to give a second law is to teach against hypocrites. Many people can have words of piety to say they love God and then act very evil towards their fellow man. Many people try to claim that. Think of the Pharisees themselves. They would in one breath have a words of piety and religion and doctrine to God and then look how they would treat their fellow Jews. Think of James chapter 2. Where there's a man of faith who no doubt would have said, I love God. And yet when he has someone who's in great need and he's able to meet that need, what does he do? He simply prays. I'll, I'll pray that you'll get clothing. And what does James say? That man has dead faith. He has dead faith. Because if you say you believe in God, you cannot but help your fellow man. Matthew chapter 18. How should someone treat others when they have been offended by others and they've already been forgiven of God? Remember Matthew 18. Well, there's a king and there's a man and he has a great, great debt. And he cannot pay off that debt. But the king out of his kindness says you're free from all your debt. And there's another man who owes him very, very little. How does the forgiven man treat the other man now? Grabs him by the scruff of the neck, pay me or you're going to jail. And the king was angry. I forgave you all this debt. This man owes you little and look how you treated him. So how should we treat man? How can you receive the forgiveness of God and the forgiveness of all our debt and treat a man any other way than gracious? And therefore, to speak against hypocrites, the so-called pious, if you love God, you also love man. Third reason. 
What is man? Man is made in the image of God. So if you love God, how can you not love his image? If you love God, you love everything about God. You love his persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. You love his attributes. You love his works. You love creation. You love providence. And you must love his image bearers. Even the most depraved man, though polluted by sin, still bears the marks of the image of God. And wherever you see the image, if you love God, you cannot but love man. Uh, James 2 or 3, I can't remember which chapter, says, In one breath you bless God with your mouth. And in the next breath, you curse man who's made in his image. See the parallel there. How can you say, oh, I bless God and, you know, beautiful, devoted words, the tongue to God. And then here's the image of God. And then you curse him. Therefore, Jesus Christ is teaching the second. If you love God, you'll love his image. And there's a fourth reason why he continues with a second commandment. God cares for people. God cares for people. Psalm 149, sorry, Psalm 145, verse 9. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. He cares about all his works. Now, who is this God? Psalm 68, verse 5. What did we sing? A father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows. He cares about righteousness. He cares how you treat people. He cares about the oppressed. And since he cares about people, what's the expectation of his people? Psalm 41, verse 1. Blessed is he that considers the poor, the Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. Since God cares about the poor, God's people will care about the poor. Because God cares about the widow and the orphan, we should care about the orphan and the widow. So since God cares about people, and we say we love God, we cannot but love people and care people and so for these four reasons and I'm sure there's more but at least these four reasons this is why Jesus Christ does not stop with the greatest but continues with a second great command now where did this second great command come from thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself if you ask most people outside of the church and far too many people in the church ask them about the book of Leviticus and it'll be completely ignored and if they're atheists they probably use it to mock God where does this command come from? Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18 thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself I am the Lord so, what is the second greatest commandment? It's from the Old 
Testament. And as we know from Romans 13 and Galatians chapter 5, this continues in the New Covenant. This teaches a very vital lesson. There's one Bible, one Saviour, one covenant of grace, one salvation, one way of life, one standard of goodness and morality. And when we separate the Bible into two distinct books, or seven if you're a strict dispensationalist, you destroy the meaning of the Bible. It makes no sense to you. The Bible's a sort of, uh, it's cut up into different segments and you don't really know how you apply it. You read blessings in the Old Testament, you say, well, is that just for the Jew? Is that for me? And it's such a bad witness to the world. Well, we just cherry pick what we like rather than the whole. I remember watching a debate between a Christian and a Muslim. The Christian was a Mennonite. And he's a very good apologist to the Muslims. He's not a bad apologist. He's actually very good. And the, the Muslim was attacking the Old Testament. He was talking about things in the Old Testament. And then the Christian got up to give his defense. And he said, the Old Testament has nothing to do with me. I'm a Christian. All that matters is the New Testament. And then completely moved. What's going on there? How should you live your life? What's right? What's good? How should you treat others? Love the Lord. Love Lord God with all thy heart, soul, and mind and strength. Love your neighbor and yourself. On what source? The Old Testament Levitical law. What did Jesus teach in Matthew chapter 5? Look at the words destroy and fulfill. Think not that I am come to destroy the law. That means to get rid of it. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. When you hear many Christians talk about this verse, and I spoke to a professing Christian about this verse only a few weeks ago. They will actually define fulfill by abolish and destroy. I have come not to destroy the law, but fulfill it so that the law is no longer binding. Well, fulfill means destroy then, get rid of it. It makes no sense. But what does it continue to say? For verily I say unto you, truly, assuredly, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Has the heaven and earth passed away? Are we living in the new heavens and the new earth? So many Christians who want to get rid of the law will use this verse to say he came to fulfill. Yes, he did. But what does fulfill mean? It doesn't mean destroy or abolish or get rid of. Fulfill means he has come to fulfill the righteousness of the law and to give us the righteousness and justification. But Christians are still under the law in the sense of it's a rule of sanctification and holiness. Whosoever, Jesus continues, shall break one of these least commandments, the least of them, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But 
whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So how do you know you're the least of the great? You understand the law, you use it rightly, and you continue to use it as a rule of sanctification. And so, Jesus Christ, how am I to treat other people? Love them. Love them. Because there's only one way of salvation and one way of sanctification. And the Old and the New Testament are beautiful and harmonious. Now look at the exact object of the second great commandment. It's our neighbour. It's how we treat other people. How can we keep this commandment and treat people so well that the Lord is glorified and pleased with our conduct? First of all, you keep this commandment by keeping the order in mind. Keeping the order in mind. Love God first. Love neighbour second. Love God first. Love neighbour second. God's the priority and then through that you love your neighbour. If you do this, you'll be a better neighbour. Let's think of the home. How can a husband fulfill this second commandment? Start with the first. Start with the first. Because if you don't start the first, you have your own ideas of how to love your household. And they're not rooted in a higher standard. But in a standard that pleases you that may not please God. Because you will make decisions in life where you might put your family before God and that only leads to problems in the home. Or you might put your own pleasures first and that will only lead to problems in the home. Because if I love God with all my heart, soul, mind and strength, I will be an Ephesians 5 husband. I will love my wife like Christ loved the church. My love won't be me before you, my way or the highway, a home tyrant. I will be a self-denying, sacrificial, for the good of my household, good defined by the word of God, and doing what's right in the eyes of God, and what's best for my family. That's the kind of husband I will be. Or parents to children. One of the hardest things I personally find is physically disciplining my children. I don't find it easy. It doesn't come natural to me. I find it hard. Now, if I were to love my child my way, what's going to happen? Less discipline. What's going to happen with less discipline? Pride. Selfishness. Disobedience. Remember reading John G. Payton, as many of you have read yourselves. And he remembers the piety of his father and the discipline of his father. He speaks of his father like this. How much my father's prayers 
at this time impressed me I can never explain, nor could any stranger understand. When on his knees and all of us kneeling around him in family worship, he poured out his soul with tears for the conversion of the heathen and for the service of Jesus Christ. So every day the, the father's giving his time for family worship. He, he had a hard job, long, long hours, long, long days, physically exhausting work, yet gave himself to God first. And then Peyton describes how, even as a child, it was so obvious his father struggled to discipline the children. By struggle, I don't mean failed. I mean there was an inward battle. But he always did it. He always did it. Now, why would John G. Peyton's father, who struggled to discipline his child, do it? Because he loved God first. And therefore, he was a good dad. Proverbs 13.24 He that spareth his rod hateth his son. But he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. So if I or John G. Payton's father or any father struggles inwardly to discipline their child, if they love neighbour first, they're going to fail the child. But if you love God, and do it God's ways, in a loving way, in a proportionate way. You love your child. So remember the order. God first, neighbour second. Because when you love God, you will be the much better neighbour. Second principle here on how we can treat others well. This is a summary of the second table. Just as Love the Lord your God is a summary of the first table, commandments 1 to 4. This is a summary of the second table of the law. Romans 13 proves that, and I'll leave that to the next heading. But Romans 13 says, this is the fulfilling of the law. Love the Lord your God. And then it mentions commandments 5 to 10. There needs to be a standard of goodness. There needs to be a a standard of what's right and what's wrong because if you do not have an objective standard your sincere desire to help others will actually hurt them. When you see the poor and the homeless we should all have this inner movement of compassion. And we should all desire to help them with our whole hearts. And we should never be hardened because of the abuses and mistakes of the homeless. We should all have a sincere heart, do you? Do I? But you want to help the homeless, you want to help the poor. And if you do not help your neighbour by following God's commandments, you may hurt them. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. For when we were with you, this we commanded you. If any would not work, neither should he eat. 
For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Brothers, do, don't be weary in well-doing. Labour, work hard in doing good to other people. But do it according to a standard. Because if you have people who refuse to work, feeding them and clothing them and housing them is only going to create a dependent, lazy spirit. And it's going to hurt them long time. But if you help them and enable them and give them opportunities to actually work, then you're doing very well. I understand that soup kitchens and these things have a place. I'm not against them whatsoever. But lots of charities, secular and Christians, are finding out they have long-term effects. And the effects aren't good. This is why there was a book published a few years ago. It's been very popular in Christian circles. When helping hurts. When helping hurts. Because short term, just doing what immediately is needed can help them short term, but long term it doesn't help. This is not an excuse not to help. You try and help in other ways, of course. You get to the root problem. You try to help with counselling over abuse. You try to help to give them skills and opportunities to work. This is not just an excuse to do nothing. We're simply saying we have to do right with our neighbour according to a standard. And as loving our neighbour is the standard of the summary of the commandments of God, we do our best with people around us when we follow the commandments of God and then serve our neighbour. So read and study commandments 5 to 10 and make that the foundation of how you help your fellow men. The third thing to help us, what's the root? What's the very heart of the second commandment? The same as the first. Love. Love. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love God, love neighbour. And to bring all this together, Romans chapter 13 Verse 8 to 10. Love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not cover, covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbour. As thyself. Love worketh no ill harm to his neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. If you're struggling to treat your neighbour well, the problem's not what you're doing, the problem is love in your heart. 
And when you love your neighbor, it means you desire their good and not harm. How do you keep the fifth commandment, children? It's not by externally obeying your parents, but inwardly despise it. Young children have not learned to control their emotions or expressions. And there are times when you know they're obeying you, but inwardly they are completely against you. They're doing what you've commanded them to do, but the expressions on their faces or the tone of their words reveal abundantly clear they're doing it because they have to and they don't want to. So when we as Christians are doing what we're supposed to, but inwardly begrudging, we're just like that disobedient child. And so the solution is not just do what we're supposed to do, just like our children. We don't want external obedience. We want heart obedience, serving God, and therefore honouring the parent. And so what do we want? We want to treat our neighbours well, not out of mere outward conformity, but out of a love for our neighbour. And so when you contemplate their need in the image of God, as we've already seen, that they are fellow men, women and children, they're fellow sinners, let us have a love for mankind. They speak of philanthropy. Phileo, to love. Anthropos, man. And we usually restrict that to very, very rich men and women who do very good charitable deeds. Every one of us should be philanthropists. Every one of us. Lovers of men. Because when you have this love... You will not take life. You will not do harm. You will seek to choose life and help with life and care for their life. You will not covet. You'll be thankful for what people have and grateful for what people have and content in your own. You will not bear false witness and hurt and harm people's reputations. You will protect reputations. Have this as your test. I'm either loving or hating someone. I'm either loving my neighbour or hating my neighbour. That's it. Look at Leviticus 19, the original source of this command. Leviticus 19, from verse 16. Let's look at the context. Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among thy people, Neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbour, I am the Lord. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbour and not suffer sin upon him. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people. Thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself, I am the Lord. So you're either loving or hating. So when you find your conduct towards someone else, this is the standard. Am I loving them or am I hating them? By the grace of God, the instruction of the scriptures, the results say we love. Now who are we to treat well? 
Who are we to observe the law? Who are we to love? Our neighbour. Who's our neighbour? That was another trick question in Luke chapter 10. Where a man wanted to demonstrate he was a righteous man. And Christ asked him, what is the summary of the law? He gave the same answer. But then the man's conscience started to prick. Hmm. I'm good to some people, but not to everyone. I'll get around this problem. Who's my neighbour? And Jesus, of course, gives the parable of the good Samaritan. Speaks about a Samaritan who was very much despised by Israel, was injured and hurt. Sorry, not a, there's a Jew who's injured and hurt. And there's a Levi and there's a priest who comes and none help him because you don't want to be unclean after all. And yet he's a Samaritan, the enemy. He comes and helps the man. Who's the neighbour? No one can deny it, the Samaritan. So go and do likewise. So anyone and everyone who you have in your life in providence, there's your neighbour. There's your neighbour. But what if someone hates me? What if someone's my enemy? You love them. Matthew chapter 5. Be like your father in heaven. How does he love? Sun and rain to the good and the evil, the just and the unjust. Go and do it likewise. So when you have an enemy and you see them in trouble, you don't walk by, you don't snigger. What goes around comes around. Ah, there we go. He getting what he deserves. No. You love them. You do good to them. You pray for them. What a witness that is for the Christian church. When we love our neighbour, even when they're enemies. And lastly, love them like you love yourself. Love them like you love yourself. That's what it says. Love your neighbour as yourself. Now this does not mean selfishness. It's basically the golden rule. Matthew chapter 7 verse 12. All things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So what's good for you and goodness is the standard of goodness in the Bible? How would you like to be treated? How would you like to be respected and taken care of? And when you're in need, someone to come along and put an arm around you or to help knock at your door and help you in your time of need. How would you like others to treat yourself? Go and do likewise. As you want to be loved, you go and love others. So brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, how can we be godly and holy in this world? Well, the second great commandment, love, love your neighbour as yourself. Now, how did the scribe respond? It's quite amazing, actually. Verse 32 to 33. And the scribe said unto him, Well, master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he, and to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, 
and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. He's in complete agreement. And Jesus even commends him. Jesus answered and said, I'm sorry, uh, verse 34, when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly. Discreetly in the Greek simply means mindfully. He completely understands. He gets it. These Pharisees, they don't get it. It's all about the external and not the internal. As you'll say later, woe unto your scribes and Pharisees. You're like the whitewashed, painted, beautiful, decorated tombs, but inside, full of dead men's bones. You're like a cup outside that's beautiful, but dirty inside. It's all about the formal and the external, but not this scribe. He gets it. Look at his words. It's the truth. He believes it's the truth. You believe in one God. And you're to love God. And this is an external. He says it's with the heart, the soul, the understanding, the strength. And then he even says, loving God and loving your neighbor is worth all the sacrifices and burnt offering. He understands true religion. Hosea chapter 6 verse 6. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. This man understands true biblical religion. But then it continues. And he's not far from the kingdom of God. He is so, so close to salvation. He's inches. But he's far. And he's not in. Now why is he not in? Because he misses the essential aspect of the law. Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 10 verse 3, speaking of the Jews in general. They being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. When God gave the law, what also did he give? The sacrifices. We've been finding that out, of course, in our consecutive Old Testament readings. Now, why did God give the sacrifices? Every Jew knows that. For the forgiveness of sins. Why would you need the forgiveness of sins? Sin is the transgression of the law. Mr. Scribe, you understand true religion. You get it. It's internal and external. It's devotional and obedience. But Mr. Scribe, have you loved the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength? Perfectly and sinlessly? 
Mr. Scribe, have you loved your neighbor as yourself as you ought? Have you never had internal or external hatred? Have you never failed to do good? You're not far, but you're not in. Many people may be in the church and completely get it. They understand the Bible, they understand theology, they understand the gospel, and they're not far from the kingdom of God. But they're not in the kingdom of God. Because they haven't come to see there is no one righteous, no, not one. It's not the confessing of the law it's the doing of the law which no man can do the bible says he that does not do all the law is under the curse of the law galatians 3:12 so if you do not do all perfectly and sinlessly and perpetually you're under the curse of the law and you need a sacrifice for salvation, which is Jesus Christ. And so it's not enough to get the heart of true religion. It's not enough to understand orthodox, confessional, experimental religion. It's not enough to know and understand. You have to deny your righteousness. Deny your own worth. Deny your own works. And say, Jesus Christ is my righteousness. Jesus Christ is the end of the law. Jesus Christ became a curse for sinners. And Jesus is basically saying, come, come scribe. You're not far, I'm not hindering you, I'm not putting up walls, I'm not putting you off. You're not far, come, come. It's like he's at the doorway. But he's not in the building yet. He's opening the door. Come, you get it. That's right. You get it. Now put your foot in. Enter the household. You're a sinner. You can't actually keep the law. You need to repent and believe in me. For I have come to fulfill the law in the place of sinners. Is that you? Is that me? You get it. You understand it. You have a knowledge. You agree with it. But have you entered the kingdom of God? Have you seen your righteousness? As Isaiah 64, we are all as an unclean thing. And our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And you come like that sinner, that tax collector, that publican in the temple. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. What did Christ say? That publican went down justified. Why? Because he looked for the mercy of God alone for righteousness. And if you deny your own righteousness and confess Jesus Christ as your righteousness because you believe in your heart he alone can save you, then you're not far from the kingdom. You're in Do not be like Herod. He heard John the Baptist gladly 
and did many things, but he went to hell. Don't be like Felix, trembling under the preaching of Paul, but never actually came to Christ. Don't buy like these almost persuaded men in the Bible. Don't be like this very, very close scribe. Enter the kingdom of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Because once you do have faith in Jesus Christ, behold, all things become new. You'll be circumcised of the heart because the only reason you're able to is because you're born again to enter the kingdom. And with a new heart, you have sincere desires to love God with your heart, soul, mind and strength. And you have desires to love your neighbour as yourself. And out of a good tree, you will bear good fruit. And you will demonstrate Christ in you by loving God and loving neighbour. Let us pray. Lord our God, we pray that no one would be far from the kingdom of God, but by the work of the Spirit we would be in the kingdom of God. We pray, O Lord, we would know that we cannot keep the law, but Christ must keep it for us. And Lord, being in Christ, we pray we would not sin that grace may abound, but we know that we desire holiness, and this holiness is summarized in the commandments of God. Oh, help us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Help us not to be like the world full of selfishness and worldly standards of goodness that harm and hurt other people, but help us to love selflessly, sacrificially, and help us to do so according to the standards.